0: Good morning to everyone that is with us here physically this morning, and for those who are viewing us out in the internet, we're glad that you are with us. I got to hand it to Tim. That was so clever the way that he worked that first song in this morning. How many of you caught that as the deer, being this is the traditionally the last Sunday of deer season? Well done, Tim. Tim. Perhaps it rubs some people the wrong way who have not gotten their deer yet this year. But Tim and I hunt from the same spot every year from the front seat of our car (laughs) or in the warmth of our own living room. (laughs) We're glad that you're with us here today. Our daily Bible reading and devotionals have taken us today, being chapter 5, if you were following, but the last. Five days have taken us through the book of James. And James is known as one of those very practical letters that have been written in the New Testament. And it's been challenged by some because it contains wording within it that really challenges something about, uh, show me your faith and I'll show you my faith by my works. And so it has been a challenge for many. When I think of, of what is talked about in our last verse, and really the verse 27 of chapter 1 is really the, the focus of the lesson this morning, where it says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we we'll are talk a little bit in the beginning about religion. When I think of religion, I pull this out, and this is our good china. From our house. When I was a young boy growing up, we would watch a program on television called the Ed Sullivan Show. It used to be called the Talk of the Town. Ed Sullivan would have all manner of acts that were on there, but one of my favorite acts was the one where they spin the plates. Do you remember that? Has anybody ever seen those acts where they spin plates? The world record is keeping 108 plates spinning at the same time. I would love to have known how they'd done it, you know, just to keep that plate up there. This really is our good China, by the way. Inherit it from my grandmother. I'm really not going to spin it, but when I think of, of trying to keep all of those plates spinning at the same time, that's what I picture as trying to justify myself by religion. You know, that little checkbox that says, First day of the week. I prayed this morning, so that, that goes in that checkbox and Well, I came to church, and that's another check in the check box. And then I just keep spinning those plates one more at a time. I sang today. I said hello to people. I was nice to people. I didn't hit anybody with my car. That's a check, you know. If you see the way I drive, you understand that. But keeping those plates spinning is like, in a sense, and it's not really entertaining to God. But it's like we we sense, well, that will be entertaining to God. That will justify me in front of God, those... Spinning place. The more I can spin, the better off I will be. But James gives us an idea here. And this, this verse isn't really lifted out and only pertaining to just that. But really the entire letter that James writes, five chapters, all really relate back to this. He begins by talking about, count it all joy when we suffer. And he talks about the life that we live. And the verses that I had uh, Taylor read, when it talks about being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, then it comes down to being doers of the word, and really reflects back on what pure religion is. Well, pure religion, religion doesn't save us. But as James talks of this, we'll divide this up into. Three different aspects as we, as we look at this. Pure religion is this before God. And I think of what pure is, and I may date myself by saying that there was a commercial that was on television for years and years. And who can name the, the name of the soap that was 99 and 44 one hundredths pure? Ivory? Okay, I'll go with ivory. Not Irish spring, apparently. Yes, but it, it boasted that it was 99 and 44 one-hundredths, pure. That's not 100%, but it's as close as pure that soap apparently could get. But pure religion. And, and I think of, of religion, and the very few times that the word religion or religious is used in the context of the New Testament. And the other one that comes to mind is when Paul is in Athens and as he walks around Athens, his his spirit is stirred within him as he walks around and sees and Athens was known as a place that had as many, if not more idols than there were people. And Paul says, I see that you're very religious. Some of your versions may say superstitious, but it's really the the same root. I see that you're very religious. Well, in knowing what we know about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we would say, you know, they might be religious, but they're not right in the sight of God. It may, may give us an insight into saying that what pure religion is, because the world has an idea of what religion is. And religion is a way of pleasing God or pleasing that Almighty. But James gives us some insight. And there are other that, verses that give us insight. Because to many who want to practice religion, what Paul says is really true. They really are practicing something to a God that is unknown to them, to the unknown God. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says some very striking words, verse 21, as we begin there says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, and really not everybody who thinks they have religion is how I, you might paraphrase it very loosely. It says, but not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Notice when he says does the will. Notice that it says in James chapter 1, be a doer, not a dozer, but be a doer of the word of God. Not just to hear, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In essence, to say, didn't we spin many plates for you along the way? Look at all the plates that we spun, looking religious. He says, nope, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Another intriguing passage in the New Testament is Colossians chapter 2, if you'd like to be turning there. Colossians chapter 2. Paul deals with the churches at Colossae and issues that they had. In some ways, they were tempted by the Judaizers who were trying to draw them back into Judaism, to be Jews, to following the law and circumcision, everything that went with it. B- beginning in verse 20 of Colossians chapter 2, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of these verses today. He says, if with Christ you die to the ele- elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion, will worship, as it's called in the American Standard, the King James and the Revised Version, will worship and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Self-made religion, will worship. When it talks about asceticism and severity of the body, Another way of spinning a plate is saying, oh, if I, much in the same way that the Sadducees and Pharisees, the, the rulers of the day would say that I'm going to fast. I fast, remember what the man who prayed to God says, I fast three times a week. And I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector, that sinner over there. He says, but I fast. Things that are severe, asceticism, sort of punishing the body. And some people have thought that, that that's the way that we please God by punishing our body through fasting. Or some people have actually uh, cut themselves and hurt themselves to say, to say that they are buffeting their body. Punishing their body to keep it in line. But here Paul says that, that these are they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They're human precepts and teachings. And they have an appearance of wisdom. They look like they're really bringing that person because we think, look at how much that person fasts or, or look at this. Have you ever seen someone that drags the cross around? I, sometimes I get a chuckle and I don't mean to disrespect them, but sometimes when we would walk the Mackinac Bridge, it was popular at one time for people to, to have this big cross and they would drag it as if they were bearing their cross. In fact, they had a wheel on the back to make it much easier for them. Sort of goes against what, I guess. But it has an appearance of wisdom. It has an appearance. All those plates, they keep spinning in that. It has an appearance that they're really getting something done. But Paul says they're of no value in stopping indulgence to the flesh. Self-made religion. Things that man makes up that says, God will really be pleased with this. If I could just do more stuff for him that appears to have this. But I think of the religion, quote-unquote, that God desired of his people. And we've just finished studying the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. The writer of the book of Hebrews goes back and, and tells about this new covenant that God says he's going to establish after this. And that new covenant is Christ. But he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind, and on their heart also I write them. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be my people. In the simplicity and purity of what God was looking for, there it is that He will be our God, and we will be His people. It says, And I'm going to write it on their hearts. On their heart, I write to them. I will put my laws into their mind. Sometimes I look at, if there is one thing that is our goal in life, I sometimes pin it to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, Paul writes, For whom he foreknew, he also foreordained to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And of all the things we say, what is my goal in life? It is to be conformed to the image of his son. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. Imitators. Be conformed to the image. Our goal Paul would continue on in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. metamorphosized as the Greek word is. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect transforming our mind becoming an imitator of christ to be conformed to the image of christ as we look at at those things of of what he considers pure religion he continues on he says to visit widows and orphans so if we were to look at the only thing that we're really required to do is to visit widows and orphans Is that really all there is to it in all of this? What about poor people and homeless people? Well, we look at widows and orphans are really a representation of perhaps the most vulnerable in our society and have always been. If we go back to really nearly the oldest book that is written in the Bible would be the book of Job. And Job writes, when the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eye saw, it approved, because I delivered the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to help them. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Because it is believed that Moses wrote this book, we obviously can assume that it predated, and it's a true story. The book of Job is a true story. It's just not a metaphor or an allegory. But even in those days, to speak of those who were fatherless, or as we might call them, orphans, or those who were widows, or those who had lost their husband, was to make reference to the most vulnerable, those who needed the help most. And so when James points to this as being what he considers pure and undefiled before God the Father, Not just looks good to me and you. But it's pure and undefiled before God the Father. It's interesting that he's called God the Father. As we look at what fathers would consider to the fatherless. In Matthew chapter 25, another one of those chapters that can make us feel rather uncomfortable. So we come down to the last part of Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40. And it tells about Jesus when he sits, when he comes to uh, reclaim his own. It says he's going to divide the sheep from the goats. It would be on the left and the right. When he talks about those who are rewarded because of the things that they did, is they visited those who were in prison. They helped those who were hungry. They gave clothes. If they were sick, they visited them. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. To visit means more than I'm coming to see to see how you are. It means to care for them in their affliction. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 29, Jesus tells a parable of the Good Samaritan. And it begins, really the, the parable speaks for itself, but the verses leading up to, this are very interesting. Beginning in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. It means he was really trying to show him up. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, to Jesus, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And of course, the parable that Jesus tells of what we call the good Samaritan tells the story of the Levite and the priest who passed that one in need by. But the one least likely to have been expected to help would have been the Samaritan to stop. But he does. And not only cares for that one who had been robbed on the spot, but takes him to the end and says, And whatever else you need, I'll pay it when I come back. And Jesus asked the question And who was the one who showed mercy? Who was the neighbor? The one who showed mercy. So who is your neighbor? Is it the orphan, the fatherless? Is it the widow? Is it the poor? Is it the needy? Those are the people who are our neighbors. Another thing that is considered to be pure and undefiled, caring for those who are in need, to visit them. You see, the, the Jews had come to a conclusion that really it were, were the things that they could perform for God that would make them justified in his sight. Isaiah deals with this as well as many of the other old prophets. But Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, talks about, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talks to them about the things that they were doing and wondering why they weren't being accepted by God. He begins by saying in verse 15 of Isaiah chapter 1, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Listen to how similar this sounds to James. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to, listen to these two groups, the fatherless and the widow's cause. You see, that theme runs throughout history in the eyes of God. You wonder why God became so angry with Sodom and Gomorrah? Because visitors came there and were oppressed. We wonder why when we come to the book of Judges, to why God was so angry with Benjamin because they protected the one who had done such an evil deed and supported the ones. God is very upset for those who will not care. We go down to Isaiah chapter 58, beginning in verse 3. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. You're going to read very much the same language as you come down to James as well. You see, James is not that unlike many of the other passages in Scripture. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Don't make me hold up the spinning plate one more time. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Pure and undefiled. God was not looking for people to make great shows and not do the things that were really desirable to him of helping those. And the third part we come to is to keep oneself unspotted from the world. See, to keep yourself is an active, active word that is used here. Tereo means to watch or keep our eyes upon. We see this word several times in the New Testament. To keep, to watch, to watch over. I recall from Proverbs 4.23, it says, keep your heart with all diligence for from it flows the springs of life watch your heart be careful what you expose it to it is interesting in acts chapter 2 that peter is giving the sermon on the on day of pentecost and after the people have uh, he tells them what they knew need to be need to do in acts 238 Following on Acts 2.40, he says, And with many other words he bore witness, continuing to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation, from this world that is around you. Save yourselves. James chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, keeping oneself unstained from the world. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3, Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, talking about those who have been baptized, those who are now Christians, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There it is. Keep yourself unspotted, unspotted. Paul writes to the church, churches of Galatia. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 begins, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now if I were to say that, you'd say, well, wait a minute, they're evident. Continue on down, and he gives a a tremendous list of those things that are works of the flesh, that are evident. They are evident. Paul writes the very same... Uh, Essence in Romans chapter 8 and verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. but Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Unspotted from the world. One of my favorite verses comes from the Paul's pardon me, John's letter, we know as 1 John chapter two. He talks about the love of the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I dealt with that in recently in a sermon. He says, "Do not love the world or the things in the world." Anyone loves the world, the love of the Father.